Uh, we are going to conclude our series in biblical relationships with the topic of friendship today. And uh, for that purpose, we're going to be in John chapter 15 and then a whole bunch of verses out of the book of Proverbs. Let me read to us John 15 verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father. I've made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you uh, for the encouragement it brings to us. Thank you the, the way it reveals you and your character. Thank you the way that it challenges us. Uh, Father, I pray that as I preach, would you open my mouth in such a way as to preach truthfully and helpfully and to honor the Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, in each one's heart and mind, you would open their eyes, you would open their understanding, that they could hear, that they could respond, and that they could believe. And Father, I, I pray that in everything, uh, Jesus would be exalted in this place today. In his name, amen. You guys may be seated. All right, as we come to the topic of friendship, uh, we have to realize that there is uh, this, this opposite extreme. And, and maybe we can call it the monster called loneliness. Loneliness is something that uh, in our city is, is well um, kind of circulated. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people know about it. A lot of people are experiencing it. Uh, loneliness is really this, this weird thing that comes with a fast-paced, transitory uh, society and uh, a group of people who are sinners, right? But loneliness really didn't come into the world uh, as a result of sin. Aloneness was something that we actually saw before then. And so if we, we look at loneliness and we try to understand loneliness, maybe it's helpful for us uh, to also understand that uh, where it came from and, and what really it points toward. Loneliness is something that has deep impact on the way we live. Uh, it's been linked to depression, suicide, heart disease, stroke, uh, and a whole number of other health-related issues, which is really interesting to me. Uh, if you do studies and you follow kind of the studies, the mortality rate of human beings who are lonely is anywhere, and this is where the studies diverge, from 30 to 60 percent uh, higher for those who are lonely than for those who are not. 
Uh, one study uh, declared that the effect of loneliness on our mortality and on the human body and the human reality uh, is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's pretty crazy, but that's part of these studies. Uh, loneliness is also a predictor of premature death, uh, and half of Americans, just under 50%, I think it's 48% of Americans say that they uh, feel lonely, and 54% of Americans say that they believe that no one knows them, truly knows them. So that's loneliness. Uh, it's something that, that has been much written about, it's something that's been much talked about, uh, and it's something that presses in on our reality and our consciousness, and we do our very best to kind of combat it, right? Uh, that's why, you know, we have the TV running 24-7. That's why we're streaming things. That's why we have headphones. We don't want to be alone with our thoughts. We don't want to be alone. Here's what's interesting, though, and I kind of hinted at this, when we look at all kinds of other things that we struggle with, uh, whether that's brokenness or whether that's uh, outright sin, right? We, sh we struggle with it as a consequence of the fall. Greed, lust, anger, all those things we struggle with because we are sinful human being. And as a consequence of sin entering the world, all these sins, all these conditions entered with it. Not so with aloneness, right? Uh, Adam right there in Genesis 1, is created in the very image of God. And the amazing thing is that God says, and God looks at Adam, and he says, now this man is made in my image. And yet he is alone, and it is not good that he should be alone. That's, that's interesting. All the other things you're struggling with, all the other things that are pressing in on you, all the other things that you're experiencing, you're experiencing as a part of the fall. But aloneness is evident in Scripture and in the creation narrative prior to the fall of the man and the woman, prior to sin entering the world. What, what does that mean? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that you are created in the image of God that you feel aloneness, and then by consequence, and as, as that kind of progresses, loneliness. See, you're not experiencing loneliness as a sign of how broken you are. You're experiencing loneliness as a sign of your perfect design in the image of God. Is that weird to you? Is that weird to hear that? You're like, yeah, that's crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, let me try to explain this. God, for all eternity, has existed in perfect relationship, perfect harmony between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's a mysterious truth, the Trinity. Yet what we see there is that the moment he makes Adam, he makes the first man, and he is alone because he does not exist in Trinity, God says that's not good. There is a problem because that friendship love, that interconnected love cannot exist in just one person. So I think it is, it is possible that what C.S. Lewis writes, and he is the one that kind of came up with this, uh, might be true. When C.S. Lewis says, you experience loneliness not of being imperfect, but rather because you're perfect. 
You're experiencing loneliness as a very evidence that you are made in the very image of God. It's a crazy concept. Well, well let's kind of uh, walk through that today if we can. Loneliness as something that shows how we were made, shows how we were created, shows for what we were made. All right, here's three things that I want to cover today. All right, in, in the considering friendship, I want to talk about this thing we long for. What is it that we long for? I would say it is deep friendship. The number two I want to talk about, what are the obstacles to creating, to having, and to being a friend, right? That is the second thing that we're going to talk about. What are the obstacles that we face? And the obstacles, as we will see, is partially sin and brokenness and partially some things that we have kind of created into our context and our culture. And then number three, we're going to take a look at how do we attain friendships. And that will have to do with this topic of being, making, and maintaining friendships with others. All right. Uh, Proverbs 13, verse 20, makes this statement. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's interesting, that's not the only verse that's kind of in that general direction, but uh, what Proverbs asserts, what Proverbs kind of points us toward is this, that our life is, is going to go well or go poorly in direct correlation to uh, either the lack of friendships or the folly of friendships, right? Bad friends. And maybe you can, you can uh, relate to that, right? Uh, one person has said, hey, f you are the average of your four or five closest friends. Wow, is that true? I don't know. But if it's true, here's what that means. Here's what this says. If your four or five closest friends were stoned yesterday, there's a great chance that so were you, all right? If your four or five closest friends were drunk yesterday, there's a great chance that maybe so were you. If your four or five closest friends are passionately and on fire for love uh, for Jesus, right, are in love with Jesus, then there's a chance that maybe so are you, right? And if you're like, wow, my four closest friends are believers and I don't actually believe in Jesus yet, well, we're telling you this is where you're headed, all right? Congratulations, good job, right? But that's basically what, what that would say. I don't know if that's true. Maybe, I mean, I, that's probably embarrassing. I shouldn't do a show of hands. Like, are you the average of your four or five closest friends? Oh, dear. That could be problematic, right? So just something to ponder, maybe discuss in community groups. Anyways, so your life will come to ruin or to success in direct correlation to either the lack of friends you have or the type of friendships you have developed. Something to think about. So let's go number one. What is it we long for? What is this one thing that we all long for? And maybe you're sitting in here and you're like, uh, it's, I don't think it's friendship. I think it's something else. I think it's success. I think it's, right, you may come up with all these other things that you think that's what you long for. I think sometimes maybe we're not even fully aware of this thing that we long for because it, it is created into us. And so without us identifying, it's always sort of there. 
It's not good for you to be alone. It's not good that your affection, that your honor, that your service, that your care would terminate upon yourself. You were created for those things to overflow to the people around you, including deep, meaningful, biblical friendships. All right, so uh, we may not realize it, but I think that what we long for is a deep, meaningful friendship. Now, what's one of the reasons why I think we don't uh, even realize that's what we long for? I think part of it is that as a society, we don't value friendship at the same level, at the same um, kind of primacy as romance, sexual love, and even family love, all right? Here's what Lewis says about this. I, I've, I've read a lot about Lewis. If you want to read more about this, he's got a big uh, section on that in his book, The Four Loves on Friendship. Uh, there's some, some smaller versions of this where you can just kind of read some excerpts, see if you whet your appetite, get excited for that. Uh, I brought one of them. This is uh, C.S. Lewis. It's like little chapters, little summaries on his chapters from all his different works. So this is maybe more accessible for you at this point in your life than all the works of Lewis. But if you have a little bit more time, want to do a little bit more reading, uh, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, all right? Uh, so let me, let me read to you what Lewis says. He says, the importance and the value of family love or erotic and sexual love has been stressed and exaggerated. But very few modern people think friendship, a relationship that is of equal importance. Huh, that's interesting. I heard one man teach on the subject of friendship and he said, well, when you check out of the grocery store, right, and you're right there, so just imagine, just go with this man in his illustration, you're, you know, at Safeway or you're at QFC and there's like these little, what is it, magazine racks, right? And you're looking down and it's like, oh, Brad Pitt's new best friend. No, that's not on the magazine cover, right? It's like, oh, he is sleeping with her and she has left him for this guy, right? I mean, this is what you're reading about. It's like, because apparently that's what we want to know. So no one talks about friendship. No one gives that the primacy and the importance that it really deserves. We as a society are stuck on romantic and sexual and family love and affection above friendship. Now here is what the Bible says in regards to a true friend. I'm going to give you two verses. Proverbs 17, verse 17. That should be easy to be remembered. If you're taking notes, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Uh, in the next chapter, uh, this is how the writer continues. He says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, interesting enough, um, you may right now say, well, friendship uh, doesn't really have any survival value. Friendship is not crucial to my life. My life is governed by work relationships, so I make money, and it's governed by family relationships, and I'm hoping for romantic relationships, right? That's my life right now. That's what I'm going for. Friendships, that's a nice add-on, but really, it's not of primary importance. Well, 
Lewis, in that same section, continues his commentary on friendship, and he says this, friendship is unnecessary. You're like, okay, that's weird for a sermon on friendship. That's a, just a weird statement to make. Friendship is unnecessary. Well, keep hearing what he has to say. Like philosophy and like art, it has no survival value. In other words, if you're stuck in the woods and you're like, how am I going to find shelter? How am I going to make a fire? How am I going to find food? How am I going to find something to drink? Right? How am I going to escape wild animals? Friendship may not help you with those issues. Rather, Lewis goes on, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. In other words, the, the reason for you to slug through the forest and survive in the first place might be because you value your friendships and your relationships. And if you survive, your life is going to be better because of those friendships. Now, what, what do we mean by close, biblical, deep, biblical, meaningful, biblical relationships. Let me give you a couple of points and elaborate on those. Number one, mutuality. You need mutuality, all right? Uh, it, there's nothing more frustrating than giving yourself as a friend and then that's not a mutual experience, all right? So mutuality, let me, let me uh, kind of give some more details on that. Mutual trust. You trust them and they trust you. They've proven themselves trustworthy and you are giving them your trust. Your trust is not disappointed. Your trust is justified. Your trust is validated in that relationship, right? Uh, another one would be support. There's mutual support. You support them, they support you. You care for them, they care for you. There's mutual affirmation, right? It's not just you're always encouraging, always affirming, always saying, man, great job. No, there is a mutuality where that's coming back to you, all right? If you're always the person encouraging, always the person affirming, that's going to get old, right? I mean, like, think about, think about this, and, and you guys maybe don't chuckle too loudly, no elbowing, okay, none of that. Uh, what if, like, there's a relationship in which you are always the one sharing. It's always your problems, your issues, your trauma, your problems. You're, you just need to talk, you need to talk, you need to talk, you need to help, you need, right? What is that? What's the therapy support group, right? If you're the only person talking, that's not a friendship. Now, what if you're always the one listening, 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 well, maybe you're the therapist, right? Maybe you're the counselor. See, like, I understand. When I am doing biblical counseling and I sit in my office with someone, I need to do the listening, right? Now, often I get an opportunity to give some advice, give, give like a, hey, here's how we need to progress. Sure. But I primarily listen, right? I don't go and divulge, hey, oh, here's all my struggles, all my issues, all my problems. No, but in a friendship, the friendship is not a therapy session. You're not a therapist or a support group. You are friends. And so in mutuality, you exchange. Here's these deep sorrows and fears and longings. And then in turn, you hear them. And you share those. And you talk about those. Right? That's friendship. 
Um, how about this? Mutual fun. You enjoy being with each other. It's just life-giving and encouraging and fun to be together. Right? And that fun could be anything. It could be doing something active. It could be, uh, you know, you're reading a book and then you're discussing the book. It could be uh, things where you discuss philosophy or theology or uh, climate change. I don't care what you do, right? As long as you both care about it and are enjoying talking about it. Those kind of things, right? So mutuality of trust, of support, of love, of fun and encouragement. How about this? Besides mutuality, reciprocity. You're like, isn't that the same thing? It, it goes in the same direction, but it has some more nuances, right? Reciprocity in selflessness. Not only are you being selfless in the relationship, your friend is selfless as well, right? Not only are you the one who is providing that affirmation, you are receiving that as well. Not only are you uh, willing to call someone out, you are willing to be called out in that friendship. There's a reciprocity, right? And that's really, really important because, again, it becomes one-sided. And if you've had friends that uh, are just takers, 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 that is going to be something where you're like, yep, I know all about that. Reciprocal friendships, right? There's some friends that I have where it's like I always take the first step, right? Now, we, we've moved around a lot, uh, so we've been in lots of different places uh, as we've, you know, kind of done life and ministry together. And so there's some friends who are far away, and these are dear people to me. And, man, there's some where I'm always the person that it keeps up, always the person that sends an email, sends a text, uh, calls. That's really, that's really hard, right? And you know what happens to those friendships over time? They disappear, all right? So there's a mutual trust and support and love. There's a reciprocal selflessness and a reciprocal initiation of that friendship, right? As a married couple, you will know about that, right? You will know about that your friendship is something that needs to be reciprocal, that you both need to take the initiative, that you both need to work on that. Now, but this is not about married couples. This is just about friendship. So you had your, you had your sermon already. So here we go. Um, how about this? Mutuality, reciprocity, genuineness, being honest and forthcoming, being authentic in who you are. Is that important in a friendship? Yeah. If you're pretending to be someone that you're not, that's going to eventually come out. What do you think that will do? It will end the friendship, right? Genuineness also includes honesty and openness. If you can't be honest with one another, you're in trouble. That friendship is not going to last. And with honesty, then, what you need to also have is you need to have that, that ability to trust one another. If I share something with you, that's going to stay between us. If I entrust you with some of my secrets, with some of my longings, some of my feelings, some of my, uh, my loves and my, the things that are important to me, that can't be shared around. That is not possible. That is not a friendship. So, mutuality, reciprocity, genuineness, and grace. Are you willing to forgive and walk in that? Right? So, grace, what does it mean? It means to love unconditionally. It means to love when they maybe don't deserve to be loved. A friend loves at all times, good and bad. Um, 
that, that grace means that you ask for forgiveness and you are quick to extend it, right? That's part of friendship. That is a good, deep, biblical friendship. And then finally, chemistry. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. All the other ones were so beautifully spiritual, right? What is that all about? Well, look, you don't click with everybody and that's okay. Can I just say that? Is that okay to, for me to say? Like, if you're really, well, okay. You will not click with everyone. Just get over it. It's okay. Find someone you do click with, right? See, here, here is one of the essences of friendship as Lewis describes it. He says, friendship is in some ways discovered as you look at the other person, you say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one that cared about kittens in YouTube videos. Right? And so, man, you can have friendship about, about all kinds of things, right? You can have friendship in, in ways that maybe you hadn't even thought about. Here's the interesting thing is, uh, if you both care about the same question, you can be friends. You don't even have to agree on the answer. Did you know that? Unbelievable. That's friendship, biblical friendship. All right, that's what we long for. Let me go to the next one. What keeps us from friendship? What keeps us? And this is probably one that I will not be fully exhaustive, but this is an opportunity for you in your community groups. Let's talk about that, okay? This week, talk about what are obstacles to meaningful, deep friendships. And then as maybe some I will mention, maybe some I won't mention, but this is an opportunity for your group to gather around you and to pray for you. Pray for healing, pray for wholeness, pray that you would be able to forgive, pray that you would be able to overcome some of those things, all right? So something for you to think about. Let me give you at least two kind of categories and then flesh them out. One would be the category of sin and the other is the category of context. Sin, context. Let me talk about sin first. We live in a broken world. We sin against people, and in turn, we have people sin against us. Some of the friendships in your life are no longer friendships. They are no longer as close, or maybe they're completely gone because you have sinned. And what you maybe need to do today, maybe as you come to take communion, maybe as you leave, you need to spend some time repenting for your sin in relationship. That may, be, that may be where you're at today. Maybe you have been sinned against. Trust has been broken. And, and you have received hurts that you're still reeling from. Maybe you've sensed an abandonment in friendship. Maybe some of your expectations even were misplaced or misaligned and they were disappointed, right? Maybe someone abandoned you. Maybe someone used you. Maybe someone was only a friend because of who you were connected to, how much was in your bank account, uh, your, how funny you were, how whatever, right? Maybe someone used you for something other than you. They, they were just uh, out to like fill their own tank in that relationship. They were not going to be self-giving. They were not going to be humble. They were not going to be loving. They were not going to be concerned about your best. They were concerned about themselves. 
It has left a mark and it's left a sorrow and it's left a hurt in your life, right? Now, those things, those are sin issues that on the one hand, you may need to repent and ask forgiveness to see if you could be reconciled and if maybe through a process of that reconciliation in time, you might be restored or maybe it's something that you need to forgive. Maybe it's something that you need to let go because you're hanging on to it for dear life. But that sin will absolutely crush friendship. Now there's, there's things like deception, there's things like selfishness, there's things like fear and abuse and lies and disappointment, all those things will play into that as well. Uh, Proverbs has an interesting verse, it says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know what that has to do with? Expectations, expectations that were unmet, expectations that were disappointed, expectations that were swept aside, expectations that were invalidated, expectations that were held into your face, like that's stupid, why do you even expect that? All those things can make friendship very challenging. Let me give you some things out of context, how that could make uh, friendship challenging. We're in a super transient society, right? Uh, I mean, I mentioned Andrea and I, we kind of always move and say, hey, God, where would you want to use us? Where would we be? How can we leverage our lives to the greatest possible effect for your kingdom, for your glory? And so we met in Hawaii. We got engaged in Costa Rica. We really got to know each other in Tonga. We uh, kind of had our first little while of married life in Switzerland. Then we lived in Colorado. After that, in Northern and Southern California, planted a church in Austin and then came to Seattle. Yeah, so that, that makes it challenging to have some really long-term friendships, right? So our transient society. Maybe uh, you're not the one that's moved. You were in place. But people like me have caused you great hurt, right? For all of us, we are sorry. But that doesn't change your hurt, right? So our society is transient, it is fast-paced. Here's a couple other things, right? Like a lot of people in our church are students. What do you do in school? You need to get the grades, you need to do all the stuff in order to get the internship, to get the residency, to get the job, to be able to feed your family. And right, you're constantly concerned about that. Maybe you're newly married and you're like, oh, this is great, I'm newly married and oh, well, with, I gotta feed my family, so I gotta, I gotta get a job, I gotta get a better job, I gotta work hard, I gotta spend my hours, I gotta, right, whatever. Or maybe you have your first kid, and all those things add to your timeline. And all those things affect friendships. I don't have time for anything besides work. I don't have time for anything once I do work, and marriage, and maybe church, and community group, you add kids, forget it, we're done, right? And in that, we're not good at giving each other grace. We're not good at inviting each other in, right? We're just not. That's the bottom line. And yet, that is what friendship requires, that we do those things. See, um, we are in a highly individualized society. We do things alone with regularity, right? 
Now, one thing that's actually great in Seattle is that it's so expensive, so you can't really live alone. You have to live with other people. Like, there's very few of you that have enough money to be able to live alone, right? Um, now, that forces you into some relationships, forces you into some friendships. Distance is another concern, right? A distance from family, distance from maybe the people you grew up with. Uh, social media, uh, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying that it causes us great harm if we let it. We see everyone else's, the cool things that they're supposedly doing, and we feel like we're left out, right? That, that, they may or may not be having those experiences, right? Who knows? Like, we don't know, but we have this constant feeling of, wow, these people are connected. Wow, these people are really in the know. Wow, these people, they really have the life that I desire. It's a facade many times, right? Um, how about the, the just kind of life happening to us? I talked with one person uh, this last week, and it's the how, how come once you get married, you kind of distance yourself from all the single people? Well, that's true. So married people, do you, you know, have you abandoned all your friends who are not married like you? Uh, or first child, are you, have, are you abandoning all the people that don't have their first or their second or their whatever, right? And that goes the other way around. I remember uh, being newly married and then very quickly we, were, we had our first baby and it was like, hey, you, you know, like I got invited like I think two, two times maybe, three times. You wanna go skiing? Oh, you wanna go out? You wanna go to do this thing? And I turned him down because like I couldn't that particular day and I stopped getting invited, right? So those are all aspects that happen, and that happen to all of us. And we need to be alert and aware and actually pursue each other and approach each other in order to overcome these challenges. All right. So, uh, man, so much more to be said on this. Uh, what are the obstacles? Talk about it in a community group. What are the obstacles for married people? What are the obstacles for families? What are the obstacles for single people? How can we overcome them? How can we help one another in overcoming them? All right, point number three. All right, so uh, what we're longing for, obstacles to friendship, and now how do we attain deep, meaningful, mutually encouraging biblical friendships? Well, let me uh, give you three things that you need to consider. Number one, you need to consider being a friend. Number two, um, it's having or, or making a friend, and number three, having a friend, okay? So friendships need to be formed, uh, and they also need to be maintained. Here's the, what I will say first on, on being a friend. I believe that we don't have the friendships our heart desires because we are not the friends our heart desires. You gotta start by becoming that. If you, I mean, here's one way to do it. Sit down, take a piece of paper. You can do it on your phone in like notes or however you do things. And you start making a list. What do I desire in a friend? What do I desire? Well, I want my friend to be available. You need to be available. Well, I want to be my, for my friend to be trustworthy. Are you trustworthy? Well, I want for my friend to be authentic and to be transparent. Are you authentic and transparent? 
right? And so just go down the list. Are you becoming increasingly someone that someone else would be blessed to call friend? Right? That is the challenge. It's not so much about, oh, how can I find some friends? How do you become a friend? Start with that. Start with becoming a friend. Again, the book of Proverbs, right? A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. He loves at all times. That means he is available. I don't think it's just a time factor of, oh, any time, not a day, he's available or she is available, but it's also a in good times and in bad. When, when sorrow comes, when a struggle happens, when, as you would maybe say, the chips are down, right? That's, are you a friend then? Are you available then? Or are you just a companion, right? The Bible has a lot to say between the difference between companions and friends. Maybe you have lots of acquaintances. Why are they in your life? Is it because of what they can get from you? Is it because of what you can provide for them? Oh, I'm friends with him or I'm around him because he has stimulating conversation. Oh, I'm around her because she's just so funny. Oh, oh, they're not doing so well. Things are not going so great. They might actually need something. Uh-uh, not ready to give that, right? Friends need to be available. They need to be consistent in their presence, in their love, and in their commitment. With that, then comes the second thing, which is unconditional love, right? And that's that, that whole thing. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That word sticks there actually is the Hebrew word for cleave. A man will leave his husband and wife and cleave, stick to his wife. It's that kind of covenant uh, love and commitment that is put into friendship right here. Wow. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's someone who is available, who is present, and who gives unconditional love. Now, making a friend, right? How do you make a friend? Well, to some extent, friendship is discovered, all right? It is as you're doing life with people, you're coming to that place of, oh, you too, right? Wow, we have some of the same, we have some of that chemistry, we have some of the same interests, we have some of the same things we're excited about. We have some of the same things we're passionate about. There's some of the same things that are meaningful to us, right? That's part of it. And you, you discover that in the course of time, right? Like in order to make a friend, you need two things, at least. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that we already talked about, right? Humility, trust, support, et cetera, grace. Um, he, here's at least two more to make a friend. Time and proximity. I know that sounds dumb, but it's true. You're never around, right? It's like, I live in Seattle. I'm going to make a friend who lives in Boca Raton. Like, that, that guy or girl is going to be old, I'll tell you that. Um, but anyways, point is, right, like, that's not going to work. The proximity is not there for you. What are you going to be, like, pen pals? What is that? Is that even still around? We had to do that when we were little. We had to, like, write letters to people in England. It's like, we're going to be friends. No, no, we're never going to be friends, right? Like, anyways, okay. However, time and proximity, 
You spend time with these people. You get to know them. You get to experience them. You see their passions. You see their flaws. You see their hang-ups. And, oh, yes, here's someone that has those same interests, is passionate about the same things. What comes then? You're discovering, oh, maybe we're kind of in the same boat. You need to take a risk. Right? It's like, oh, I have the desire to make friends, but I'm never going to do anything. No. You need to take action. You need to step out. It's like, hey, man, I'm really enjoying hanging out. Like, you know, it's been great. What are you doing this weekend? What are you doing? Whatever, right? Like, you kind of, uh, we're going hiking with like four or five people. You want to come? Here's something else that I, I want to just add to that. In making, and maybe that's more in, in keeping friendships, but as you're making friends, you need to keep in mind, this is not a, oh, this person has to be my one exclusive only friend. No, it's, there can be a group of people, and it's super healthy. Actually, here's what Lewis says, and I might, might read you this. Friends that are like two, three, four people together actually are experiencing a fuller, grander, more glorious kind of friendship than, oh, just the two of us together. Here's what he says. This is, this is super interesting, and I want to uh, share this with you. Didn't have time for that in the first service, but I want to share it here. He says, Lamb says somewhere that if of three friends, A, B, and C, A should die, B loses not only A, but A's part in C. The argument is that actually by the three of them or the four of them being together, the two other people in that friendship are bringing things out, nuances of character that will let me know him or her better. Let me enter in more fully in knowing and loving them. He goes on. He says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his, fa his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charlene joke. Far from having more of Ronald now that I have him to myself, I have less of Ronald. Do you see that? This is super interesting. We don't ever think that way. We think, oh, no, 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 I have to have you to myself. No, 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 I have to have this time. I have to, like, no one can butt in on this. That's our time. We're besties, right? BFFs. Like, we're taking a selfie. Here we go. No, are you branching out to allow others in and have them bring out more facets of that friendship? Man, that's amazing. Maybe you've never thought of that. Anyway, so making a friend, take a risk, step out, and you can do that in community. All right. Now, uh, having a friend. You need to not only find friends, you need to forge that friendship. That's what one author called it, forge. I like that. It sounds industrial. It's like hammering molten steel. That sounds exciting. Right? But that's really what it is. A friendship, while you might discover it, is ultimately something that you have to work on. 
He has some things that we need to do to work on friendships, right? And some of them have to do with becoming, and some of them have to do with being and exhibiting. I want to give you four, all right? Four. Unconditional love, unwavering support, a willingness to challenge, and fullness of grace. Let me hit them one at a time. Unconditional love. Will you be willing to give your love no matter what? To give your friendship no matter what? To stick by this brother, stick by this sister, stick by this individual that you are friends with no matter what? Or are you going to be fickle? I don't know. Unconditional love. A friend loves at all times. Number two, in addition to unconditional love, there's unwavering support. And we already read that as well. There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. In this culture that loves uh, family more than anything, that's a crazy thing to state in Proverbs, right? But there is a friendship that's gonna always give you its support. Can you be a friend like that? Can you offer your constant unwavering support? How about this, a willingness to challenge. See, some of you are like, no, I could never do that. That, like, that friendship is over. Well, maybe then that's not a real friendship in the first place. I don't know if I could ever call someone out. Like, like, I would be risking losing the friendship. It is a deep, good friendship. If it is, it's worth risking the friendship for the sake of calling that person out for their good. All right? Here's what we read in Proverbs. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Being called out by a friend for something that, that I need to do different, I need to do better, where I need to change, where I need to, that actually is really, really healthy. That's something that's crucially important. Are you willing to call your friend out. In the same chapter, chapter 27 of Proverbs, verse 17, it says this, it says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Your friends are to make you better. Your friends are to encourage you and to support you and to make you more fully formed in Christ. These are all aspects of true, deep, biblical friendship. And then finally, uh, friendship is this idea of being full of grace. Full of grace. And, and full of grace means, on the one hand, to forgive and to repent. But I think on the other hand, it means to understand how grace applies to that individual's life. It means, can you be a messenger of the gospel to your friend? Can you encourage them in the gospel? Uh, here's what Proverbs has to say about that, and it's, it's really interesting. In chapter 25, uh, in verse, um, chapter 25, let me find it, um, verse 20. 
says this, whoever sings to a heavy heart, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Wow. And in 27 verse 14, it says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as a curse. You're like, I thought this was about morning and evening people. That's not what this is about. It's about, like, I don't know what you can handle emotionally. It is, I'm so out of touch with who you are that I think that, hey, here's a loud greeting. That's going to help you. Or, oh, you're broken, and I'm going to just be so unaware, so unalert. That's like, oh, my gosh, it was such a good day. It's such a, so amazing, blah, 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 blah. Right? It's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I am sitting here weeping, and you haven't noticed. Right? Are you in tune emotionally? That's part of friendship. That is part of being and having a friend. Now, here, here's the challenge, right? Because, like, I, I get it. We look at the ideal, and we're like, wow, that would be amazing. We look at the obstacles, and we kind of go down. It's like, oh, that's, yeah, that's why. And then we look at what about having and, and, and forging and being a friend? Can it be done? And it sounds daunting. To always be available, to always love, to always extend grace, to have unwavering support, to call them out when needed, to help shape them into the form of Christ, be a co-laborer with the Holy Spirit. For Christ. Is that even possible? How can I be a friend like that? Is that even realistic? Here is what makes it so. You have been invited into friendship with Jesus. See, all the stuff we just talked about, on your own, left to your own devices, is really hopeless. It's really like it cannot be done. But here is what we read. The words of the Son of God to his disciples are this. No longer do I call you servants? For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Here's what happens. Jesus enters the scene. Jesus comes in and he says, yeah, maybe you thought you were my servant. Maybe you thought you were my slave. Maybe you thought that the only thing that you are is my subject in my heavenly kingdom. And you have striven and you have worked and you have made it all happen. And you have forgotten that I have said, will you be my friend? I call you a friend, not simply a servant. You are more than a subject in my kingdom. You are invited into friendship with Jesus. See, the reason that you are able to unconditionally love is because you have been unconditionally loved. The reason that this verse of greater love has no man except if he lays down his life for his friends, that cannot be reality outside of the fact that Jesus laid down his life for you. Right? This is what Jesus, I believe, would say to his disciples here. Right? He is three times he mentions the topic of friendship. He says, um, 
I have called you friends. Greater love has no man that if he lays down his life for his friends. Three times this terminology is used. It's used in the context of Jesus saying, the love with which the Father has loved me, I have loved you, and you love one another. Is it, is it too far-fetched to say that he is talking about that friendship love among others? What Jesus says, the Father and I have existed in perfect harmony and friendship for all eternity. And I have invited you, I've chosen you, I've picked you, I've brought you in to be my friends. And I've loved you with that love. And you get to love one another in that same friendship love. Jesus, I believe, invites his disciples into that friend relationship. I think Jesus is saying to you, I love you unconditionally. Jesus would say to us today, I will be there for you at great, great cost to myself. Jesus would say to us, he has laid down his life for us on the cross. Jesus would say to us that he would never leave you. He would never forsake you. He would never let you down. He has come and he has invited you into friendship with him. If you know him, if you love him, this may be just a really good reminder for you. If you are not a Christian, this is the invitation. The king of the universe would invite you into friendship with himself so that you would know him, that you would love him, that you would be the recipient of his unconditional love, of his forgiveness, of his grace, of his mercy, of his friendship, so in turn, you could give that to someone else. That, I think, is what all deep, meaningful, full biblical friendship is based on. It's the work of Jesus on the cross, on our behalf, and that invitation where Jesus says, I want you to become my friends. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray uh, that today there's people that have never experienced the friendship of Jesus, that today would be a starting point for that. Father, I even pray for those who maybe uh, have been believers for as long as they remember back, and yet they have always been servants, always been slaves, always been subjects to the king, but never experienced this invitation into friendship with Jesus. Father, I pray for our human friendships, whether that's um, whatever realm that is. Oh God, would, would we need to repent? Would we repent? where we need to forgive, where we forgive, where we are in need of healing, would you graciously give healing to us? And I pray that um, we would be able to enjoy deep, meaningful, joyful, Jesus-exalting friendships uh, in our lives and in this church. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.